Hey, Heartland, good morning to all of you who are watching here in the room, if you're out in the atrium watching, or those of you who are watching online. I've got a little family out there watching in this morning as well. We're so glad to be with you. I love hearing these stories. I love being a, a part of a church that just celebrates the generosity of God and wants to do everything that we can to open ourselves up so that we can take what God has given us and, and put it on display for the world, that they can be able to experience the generous love of God through things like, like Thanksgiving meals and backpacks and diapers and coats and things that if you hang around Heartland long enough, you know we encourage you to step in and, and give generously to these things because we really it's something we really, really value. We believe it's part of what it means to be the people of God. And I love the season that we're in as this is a season where we are thinking about seeing, remembering, being grateful for the different kind of expressions of generosity that we've experienced in our lives. In fact, just to get us going this morning, I want you to lean over to someone, maybe you came in with them, maybe you're watching with them online, maybe there's a kind person nearby you, if they're not looking very kind, then you can just look the other way instead. And I want you to ask them this question, okay? Uh, when you think of generosity, who's someone in your life that comes to mind? When you think of a generous person, who's just someone in your life, so we're going to take all the Mother Teresas out of this, who's someone in your life that you think of when you think of generosity? Well, give us about 15 seconds, we'll roll a little bit of music here, chat about it online in the chat windows, and then I'm going to bring us back, all right? Who's someone that you think of when you think of generosity? Go for it. All right, hopefully at least maybe someone came to mind of a, of a generous person. Maybe it's a family member or a coworker. Maybe you were behind someone in the Starbucks drive-thru lane and you were the recipient of their generosity. Here, don't, okay, let's say that someone in your life, they're sitting in a church this morning or somewhere, uh, you know, and they're sitting in a church and their pastor asks them and say, hey, when you think of a generous person, who do you think of? Don't you wish that that friend or that family member of yours, don't you kind of wish they would think of you? But would they? Like... I don't think people would, my, you know, if my, my coworkers or friends or, or, you know, if they were to ask, be asked that question when you think of a generous person, I don't know that they would necessarily think of me. I want them to. I deeply, desperately want to be a generous person. I just don't know, I don't know if they, if they would. But I think we all want, genuinely want to be generous people. Maybe we just don't always know how, whether it's with our money or our time or our energy, our hospitality, our grace, our forgiveness. Uh, we want to be that. Now, here's, here's a conviction that I have and that we have here at Harlan because we really do value generosity. It's why we talk about it so much. But uh, we believe that the people of Jesus should be, of all the people in the world, should be the most generous people in the world. Amen? Amen. So notice I didn't say like, you know, that, that rich people or super spiritual or churchy people should be known as, as the most generous people of the world, but that the people of Jesus, that, that those of us who really have, we've taken the grace of Jesus and we've invited it into our life. And what we're saying when we do that is that there is something that has been given to us that is bigger and greater than anything we could ever deserve or ask for. And that, that we are living really in relationship to the, to the greatest, the most generous giver that there is. And because of that, it changes the way that we go about our lives and the way that we navigate our days and our schedules and our decisions and our priorities. And so that really, the people of Jesus have the opportunity to be the most generous people in all the world. But likewise, we may not always know how that happens. And so today what I want to do is we're going to dive into this topic of generosity because no matter what area of your life that you want to be generous with, probably more, more, there's probably more than one. Now, Jesus knew that if we could figure out generosity in one specific area of our life, that it would kind of be the key that unlocks 
all of the other areas. And so I want to unlock, I want to give us permission to talk about one of the areas of our lives that sometimes we struggle the most to talk about, and it's being generous with our money. It's just having permission to look at that, that kind of awkward, hard, difficult, uh, fierce, fearful area of our lives that we all struggle with in some ways, which is our relationship with our finances. That's where we're, we're going, with, going at today because we all, just, 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 say, just look at the person next to you, and I give you permission to say this. Just say, hey, you know what? I struggle with money. Look at someone next to you. Say, I struggle with money. All right? Yeah. If you, did, if you didn't say that, um, you're probably not being a truth teller, as I would say to my kids um, but yeah, we all have that struggle. In fact, in fact um, what is it? What is it about this thing right here? Now, truthfully, I forgot my wallet uh, this morning, so I had to borrow this from Craig. Uh, this is so someone remind me to give this back to Craig. Um, but what is it about this thing? What is it about this thing that has the effect that it, that it has on us? What is it about this thing that makes us feel whatever, whatever it, it, it it compels us, it motivates us, it excites us in our work, but it also has the ability to, to make us feel fearful or selfish or greedy or even guilty and ashamed. What is it that when I pulled this out had the ability to make you feel whatever you felt when I pulled it out and when we looked at this thing? You see, see I want to talk about our relationship with money and give us permission to do so. And, and as I do, if you knew my relationship with money, you would wonder why I'm the one up here talking. <laughs> Uh, because I am not a financial planner. I do not have this money thing figured out. Um, I don't pay down debt the way that I wish I, I could or would. Uh, we don't save as much. We're ne not nearly as generous as we wish that we were. Most of the arguments and the stress that we have in our household are about money. And so as I come to you today and we talk about this together, I'm not coming as some sort of expert or guru in the field of money. You need to know that. But I'm coming to you as a fellow struggler, as someone who himself has felt the fear that the pressure of money can produce in someone's life, who has dealt with the greed of, of kind of always wanting more, of being irresponsible at times with money. And so I've struggled too, and, 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 and we all have struggled. Well, no matter what your level of income is, no matter what your work is, no matter what kind of home you grew up, you grew up in, what a part of the world that you live in. We had someone this morning watching from the Philippians because someone on Facebook shared the video, and it got, I mean, isn't technology and God incredible? Um, no matter where you are, who you are, what your background is, we all struggle with money in some way. And so God knows this. And because he's a good God, he wants us to experience the freedom that he has in mind when it comes to our finances. He wants us to, to see money. What if money could be a force for good in our lives and not for evil? What if, what if money didn't consume us with fear and dread and guilt, but what if we could actually use it for good and be generous with it as a way of, of impacting those around us? What if money didn't control us, but what if we could be in control of our money? And this is so important enough to God that Jesus actually talked about this many, many times, probably more than he talked about anything else, because he knew that if we could figure out our relationship with money, it would unlock so many other things in our lives. And one of the passages that we're going to look at, we're going to spend most of our time in, is Luke chapter 12 today. So if you like following along, you can open up your Bibles, turn them on, scroll to that page, Luke chapter 12. And here's the verse that we're going to start out looking at. Jesus says, he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for a person's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. 
Now, let's kind of back up, put the pause button on there right now. What's happening in this verse, kind of the context of what's going on around this. So Jesus knew that the opposite of generosity was greed, which is why he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Jesus has been talking and speaking and teaching, kind of walking around the way that rabbis typically would. Now, it was, it was customary in this day for people to come and to bring their, their family or their business, even disputes that they might have with one another to Jesus and to have, or to rabbis, and to have that rabbi settle whatever dispute that they were having. So a guy has just come up while Jesus was teaching, interrupts Jesus and says, Rabbi, would you tell my brother to split the inheritance with me? Completely interrupts Jesus. And this is what Jesus says in response to him. Now, we don't know very much about this guy who brings this dispute to Jesus, but it seems like a, a fair request, right? So apparently he's got a sibling. They've been given an inheritance and sibling A is unwilling to give sibling B half of the inheritance. If you and I were sibling B, would we not be a little perturbed by this, yeah? And so we would kind of take our request somewhere to the, to the rabbis of the day, and he says, would you, would, would you tell him to split it for me? You know, maybe he wants his share of the family business. That's fair enough. Maybe he's got some, you know, some taxes or some loans he wants to pay back, and so he wants his share of the inheritance in order to do so. Maybe he's got some kids that he wants to send to college, and he wants some part of the money to be able to put into some savings or to kind of grow an investment so that when those kids are ready to go to college, there's something there for them. It seems like a fair request. And so how is Jesus going to answer this guy's question? And Jesus doesn't actually answer the question. Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, fashion, kind of looks past the issue that comes to him, and he looks at the deeper issue. And he uses this guy's interruption to teach him and all of the people who were, who were there, and all of us too, as we listen in on this conversation, Jesus uses that interruption to teach us all something that we so badly and deeply need to know when it comes to our relationship with money. And it shows up in the first two words of this verse. Let's throw that verse up there again. Those first two words, watch out. Everyone say that out loud. Ready? Watch out. Online, that was a little lackluster, but we'll give you a little bit of grace. We know, but, uh, <laughs> cheesy pastor joke. Um, yeah, watch out. There's this, this idea of, of keeping your eyes open. Some of your translations may say beware or take heed or, or, or be on your guard. Keep your eyes open. Jesus is saying that when it comes to money, be on the lookout. That pay attention to your eyes. Now, why would Jesus say this? Is it because money is bad? No. Money does not have the ability to be good or bad. But Jesus is aware and wants us to know that when it comes to money, money has this effect on us. Money has this ability to change the way that we see things. Money has this ability to blur, sometimes even to blind, the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see our world, our stuff, one another. Money even has the ability to blur and blind the way that we see God. That all of our issues with money all come from the same thing. That when it comes to money, you and I have a seeing problem. And so Jesus says, when it comes to money, watch out. And so whether the struggles that you face with money is greed or envy or with the pressure and fear that can consume us, they all stem from the same issue, that we struggle to see money clearly. And because of that, and because of the freedom that God wants us to experience when it comes to our finances because of the gener generosity that God dreams of for us and, and that we want for ourselves. I want to give us four prayers this morning that I'm going to walk through, four prayers to help us see our relationship with money 
more clearly, okay? This is where we're going. And the four prayers are, Lord, help me see what I've been given. Lord, help me see what I'm giving. Lord, help me see what I'm spending. And Lord, help me see what I'm missing. So let's jump right in. Prayer number one, Lord, help me see what I've been given. And this is a prayer to say, Lord, help me see all that I have in my life and where it came from. Now, when it comes to money, I think there's two words that kind of define uh, our relationship with money. Two words, uh, and they both start with the same letter. The first word is the word mine, okay? Right? Like when we think of money or the stuff in our lives, we kind of have this, this mine mentality with it. I re- was reading an article in Parenting Magazine, this is what you do when you're in your 40s, and um, I, this, this article was talking about how the first words of a child can really say so much about the child, that it, it reflects kind of something that they love, something that they've grown close to. That's why we see mama, dada, car, dog, whatever it may be. There's some form of affection, but language, like anything, can also be a form of protection for all of us. So as we're developing language, we'll also learn words that kind of help us know how to navigate the world in life, which is, kind of makes sense because we have four kids, ages seven to 14, and our first couple of kids, their first words were mama, dad, these kinds of things. And then our last kid, one of her first words, and she's kind of got a little, if, you, if you're over in Heartland Kids, you know, she's got a little bit of a, some, some spirit to her. Um, her. One of her first words was mine. And it makes sense because I think she quickly saw that there were five other people in our household. There were five other mouths at the dinner table. There were, there were not to mention the two dogs, there were five other sets of hands. And, and if there was going to be Chick-fil-A for dinner and those french fries sat at the middle of the table, it was going to be like one of those scenes from National Geographic when everyone kind of goes after the, the same piece of food at the same time. And so she quickly learned if she was going to survive in this household, she was going to have a little bit of a mind mentality. And I think we kind of can do the same thing when it comes to the stuff that we have in our lives. You think about the paycheck that you get. You know, and we think, you know what, that, that is mine. I, I earned it. I worked, I worked hard for that money. I, wo- I woke up in the morning and I went to that job. I, I worked that deal. I closed it. I, I developed those skills. I made that investment at the right time. And so whenever we, are, we receive something into our life, some money, we tend to see it as mine. And to suggest anything otherwise kind of feels a little bit like an insult, doesn't it? But look at what Jesus says. Or actually, look at what God says all the way back in Deuteronomy, Old Testament, chapter 8. The scripture says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And this is such an important reminder for us because we have to remember who gave you and I whatever abilities that we have. Who gave you and I whatever skills, whatever intuition, whatever personality that you have that allows you to do the work that you're doing? Who woke you up in the morning and opened the door to the job interview that got you that job in the first place? Who created the laws of the universe and mathematics that make something like compound interest even possible? Like God did. And when we see that, then it changes how we see whatever it is that we have in our life. Then it helps us see all that we've been given. So it's not so much what we've earned for ourselves, but what we've been given. And it also helps us see God as a giver. That every good and perfect gift that we have in our lives comes from the good Father in heaven above. The second word that I think defines our relationship with money, the first one is mine. The second one, anyone want to take a jump at it? More. It's more, right? That Jesus, in the same passage, Luke 12, he tells a parable about a farmer 
who yields such a huge crop that he can't store all of the crop in, in, his, in his, uh, uh, his storehouses. So, so rather than do something with that crop or give it away or find a good use for it, he, he tears down his, his barns and he builds up bigger ones just so he can keep all of the crop that he has. And Jesus uses some strong language in this passage. He calls him a fool. And that's kind of like Jesus. Whoa, hey, hey kind of turned it down a little bit here, man, you know? But he calls him a fool because this guy was unable to see all that he had been given. He was unable to see what he was invited to do with all that he had been given. And, and I, think, I think the struggle that he had to see how much this, that he had is a struggle that we can have at times too. In fact, if we were to go around our room and if we were to ask those of you online, I think we would all kind of say, you know what, I don't want a lot more, but I could really use just a, a little bit more. Just something to kind of take the edge off, to kind of ease the worry and the anxiety just, just a little bit. Just if I could have a little bit more, then I could live more of the way that I want. I could save more of the way that I want. I could give and, 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 and share the way that I want. I could pay down debt the way that I want just with a little bit more. And for some of you, if you think back over your careers and you go back to working that first job, you know, being a grown-up and you think about what you made, then didn't you think that? Wasn't there this, man, I am making peanuts, but if I could just have just a little bit more, this would be a lot easier and a lot less stressful. And maybe over the course of your life, uh, that, that level of income has grown over the years. But are you any less stressful? Do you worry any less about money? Do you have any more peace? And in some ways, maybe, but I think largely, we all definitely still wrestle with the pressure and the fear that, that money can produce, even if we're making more money. Because we have, we have the same, uh, like the farmer, we have the same tendency to not be able to see what we have. You see, despite Americans being the, among the wealthiest in the, in the whole world, in fact, if you make $25,000, you are among the top 10% of the, of the world's wealth. If, you're, if, you're, if you make more than $60,000, you're in the top 1%. Suffice it to say that if you drove a car here or rode in a car here, you were by far in the wealthiest portion of the world's income. And yet, we all here in America struggle with and stress out about money more than anyone. And what does that kind of say about us? It says that we struggle to see all that we've been given. And see, the way that we cure this is not by having what, by, by, by thinking of what we have as mine or not by, by just having more, but it's by praying, Lord, help me see what I've been given, to see anything and everything that we have in our life as being given to us by our good giver God. And if that's the case, when we see that, then the question we need to ask is, so why is it that I've been given whatever I have in the first place? And that's our second prayer. Lord, help me see what I'm, giving. Lord, help me see how I'm trusting you with what you've entrusted to me. And we kind of get stuck. I'll acknowledge this. We kind of get stuck when we, when we talk about giving. It, it feels weird and kind of awkward, and, and there's a lot of baggage that can come with it. And even as churches, when it comes to giving, uh, we've talked about it in the wrong ways. And so, uh, I, but it's an important area for us to talk about. And so when we give, maybe we give for the wrong reasons. Maybe we give out of compulsion or out of guilt or maybe just to kind of keep God off of our back for a little while until we give a little bit more and then we feel like that's going to keep him off and God never said that's the way this works. But, but we kind of suffice it to say, I think we navigate this, this, this aspect of giving of our finances sometimes in a confused place. And we never quite know if we're doing it the right way. And Jesus doesn't want that for ourselves. In fact, Jesus knew that the most powerful, easiest, quickest way to experience freedom in our relationship with finances 
was by giving, was by having loose hands around whatever it is that we've been given. And he gives us some guidance on how to do that. And it shows up in 1 Corinthians. Paul, in the early days of the church, he writes to some churches in Corinth and, and he says this, he gives them kind of a plan for their finances. He says, on the first day of the week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in portion with your income. Now look at that for a second because there's a few things, helpful things that I want to pull out of this for us that, that really help us navigate this, this tricky area. One is he says on the first, that, that word first, that there's a priority to it, to, to our giving. In fact, whenever we get some sum of money, it could be a paycheck, it could be a tax return, it could be $20 from your grandma for your birthday. Um, typically the first thing that we think of is what can I get for this, right? Like what can I spend this on? I know my kids do that, I know I do that too. And so this is kind of the financial plan that most of us operate by. If you put this, this picture up. So when we, we receive money, the first thing we typically do is we spend that money or some portion of it. And whatever is left over from that, well, then we may save some of that. And whatever is left over after that, then we may give some of that to a church, to an organization, to a charity, to someone else. Um, and this is what we kind of call the, the leftover method of finances that we take what we have and whatever's left over, then we save and whatever's left over from that, kind of the crumbs of that, then, then we may give some of that away. And the problem with this is it doesn't work. You know this, I know this, is that we, we always wind up spending more than we want to. We never wind up saving as much as we wish we did. And we never wind up giving away as much as we, as we want to or could. And so how do, we, how do we fix this is really, really simple. The Bible tells us we just, we just change the direction of the arrow. Instead of starting and having first be spending and asking what can we get for this, we start at the other side. We take what we've been given, because we see it as what God has given us, the first thing we do is we give. We say, God, I'm gonna trust you with what you've entrusted to me. I'm gonna give you the first and the best parts of what you've given me, a portion of that, because I know that when I give you the first, you always take care of the rest. Amen. And the second step is then, then we save. All right, and we build up that savings. And then, and then thirdly, that's when we spend and we learn to discipline ourselves by, by living off of the rest. It's this whole principle, this mentality that when we trust God with the first, he always takes care of the rest. Now, there's also part of that verse back in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, each of you, on the first day of the week, each of you, and he's, he's writing to a church and he kind of immediately, he says, this is kind of an all play, all skate mentality here that this is something we all do together. He doesn't say just the, just the rich folk. He doesn't say just those of you who've been around for a long time or the super spiritual or generous ones. This is something that we all do because it's something that, a way that God works in all of our relationships. And so be, that's true, but also, be, but also what we give, that's between you and God. That this is something that's very personal uh, to that relationship with you, but it's something that we all do together. And then he also says, but set aside a portion. And this is probably the hardest part of this whole verse because there's no specific number to it. You notice that? It says set aside a portion in relation to your income. And we think, well, okay, wait, I, I want to, I genuinely, I want to give. I want to I I do this for God. I want to do this well. I want to I do this right. And so we have this, this reasonable question of how much am I supposed to give? How much should I give? You know, the Old Testament, you hear that word tithe show up in the Old Testament a lot. That literally means a tenth. And so sometimes we can hear about a tenth. The actual Old Testament amount of, that, would, that people would give was closer to 25%. Well, let's stick with a tenth, right? And so then in the New Testament, 
uh, there is no number. There is no percentage, all right? It just says a portion in relation to your income. And, and so which is it? And if there is a number, is that gross? Is that net? How do I know if I'm doing this right? I want to be on the good side of God's favor. I don't want to do this wrong. That's not how it works. I want to, I want to clarify this for us, okay? I'm going to remove all of the confusion. I'm going to tell you exactly how much God tells us to give. However much makes you trust. Let me rephrase that. However much makes you trust, really. Okay? See, it's, it's kind of when you're looking at your finances and you're deciding to set aside a portion of your income and you get to a certain point where I call it, my wife and I call it the gulp moment. Moment. <laughs> It's like when you're saying, okay, if we go without this and we, and we give that away to God, then that's going to change things. That's going to require some significant amounts of trust in order to live off of the rest of this and save part of it. That, and, and the thing that I know about a tenth, it's not a hard and fast number, but I know that's a general starting point for what makes you have to trust. That when you set aside a tenth, you get to the end of the month and you want that tenth back. You know, you're getting to, the, to the, the end of the checkout lane at the grocery store and you wish that you had that tenth back because, because the tenth changes the way that you navigate your month. It changes the way that you live because it forces you to trust in God in greater ways. That when we trust God with our first, it forces us to, tr to trust him for the rest and he always does. And so for some of you here, um, you know, maybe you are able to give 10%. And praise God that you're able to do that. Maybe, but what I would say is don't let 10% keep you from trusting God. That maybe God is saying, you know what, you've been able to do this, you've been faithful with that, but my goal isn't an amount, it's a sacrifice. And so what is that number where it forces you to trust him with more? And see how God grows your faith when you do that. For others of you, maybe you're working two, three jobs, this is all brand new for you with church or with God, and don't let that 10% scare you away. Start with 3%. Start with 5%. Start somewhere so you can begin to see that when we trust God with our first, he always takes care of the rest. Now, I gotta be honest with you, this is something that I've struggled with over the years. I still do. And even as, even as a pastor, I got a phone call early on as a pastor, a woman in, in, in the church I was pastoring gave me a call and said, Pastor, I want you to know why it is that, I, that I've stopped giving. Now, she didn't know that I didn't know who gave what, okay? But she wanted me to know, and, and so she said, I've just started a new business. I need every penny I can, and I'm really working hard. I'm going to continue serving at the church and being there and, and doing whatever I can for the church. I just can't give in this season. But once the business takes off, well, then I fully plan on, on coming back and being able to give out of my income. Then. And what I said to her was, you know what? I get it. Thanks for calling me, letting me know. I'll be praying for you. Good luck with the business. And, yeah, once the business comes together and starts taking off, then, then start giving again. And it was probably some of the worst advice I've ever given someone as a pastor. And what I should have said, if I could go back and redo that conversation, what I should have said is thank you. You know, I've, I've experienced in my life a little bit of what it sounds like you're experiencing right now. But if I were to tell you not to give something in this season, not to set aside something first in this season, I would be telling you that it's okay not to trust God. I will be letting you go through such a critical and important season and not letting God show up in this season for you. I would be letting you say it's okay to depend on yourself and not on God and what he has for you. But I can't undo that conversation. You see, when we give our first to God, he takes care of the rest because giving grows our faith. 
Giving grows our faith. It also grows the mission of our church, which is, which is why we talk about generosity here in the way that we do. And Heartland's always talked about it in a really special, unique way. If you've been around a long time, you know that Heartland has never passed an offering plate here since day one. That's because we value hospitality, and especially for those who are, who are the furthest out or newer to church or to Jesus, we know that money can make things weird, and we wouldn't come into your living room and ask you for money, and so why would we, you know, or you wouldn't invite us into your living room and ask us for money, so why would we invite you into our house and ask you? That's just, so I was meeting a neighbor, and, and when we moved into our house, and he said, he said, oh yeah, Heartland, that's right. You're the, house, you're the church that doesn't take an offering. And that was the one thing he remembered about Heartland. He visited us once. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's like, you just have like a few people who cover all the bills? I'm like, oh, no. Uh, no, because we do believe in and celebrate and cultivate generosity because we believe that generosity is the fuel and the tank of our mission that makes us go. And so from time to time, we take a moment just to talk about where we're at financially, just so we can know this pivotal part of our church. And I want, I want to give us a glimpse, especially for those of you who, who love Heartland, who know Heartland, this is your home, just a few numbers that gives us a glimpse of where we're at in this area as a church of giving, that's 623. That to date this year, 2021, is the number of households, could be individuals, couples, families, um, who have given to Heartland, to the mission that Heartland has given us, 623. That's amazing, that's awesome, all right? 560, that's the number of that 620, 23, who are on a recurring basis that they've set up some sort of repetitive priority to this that come, that come in, it could be every month or, or whatever it is. And 1.87 million, that's how much has been given year to date here at Harlan. And I don't wanna say those numbers without celebrating all that God is doing through you and through this church. And praise God. Now with anything, with, with finances, there's realities and there's opportunities. And, and we know that these numbers are a bit down from where they've been in the past. That's no secret. Because we, we knew that when we were going into a leadership transition, that that always affects a church's finances. And we see these numbers, numbers like these tend to go down. That's, Heartland's not unique there. Add on top of that a, a pandemic with the financial uncertainty, kind of unprecedented financial uncertainty that goes with the pandemic. Add on top of that the fact that, that churches everywhere across America that are seeing less people giving and people giving less. That's a, that's a reality that we're facing right now. And we know that, and we're being aware of that, and we're trying to plan well through that. But with every reality, there's always an opportunity. And the opportunity that I love here at Heartland is, is there is such a palpable, I think those of you who've been around, I'm not making this up, there's such a palpable sense of excitement of what God's up to right now. That when we think about the transition that we've been through, when we think about the seasons and the hardships that we've faced, that now in a season of new leadership and new purpose and new mission, that this sense of why we're here, why God has us here, that he didn't bring us this far to bring us this far, that there is something ahead, the opportunity that we have to put more fuel in the mission of our tank of making space to build relationships, to make Jesus first, that we have an opportunity to grow our mission, not just our faith. And so it's just an invitation for, for those of you, maybe you're one of the 623. And the opportunity for you is, is, is to take wherever you're at and you're giving and say, God, is there an opportunity for me to trust you a little bit more? Or maybe it's to become one of those 500 some odd people who are saying, you know what, I'm not just gonna give, but I'm gonna give repeatedly with priority and with, with urgency because I believe in the mission that you've given this church. Or maybe the opportunity for you is to become number 624, 
And I don't say that to give you a number because you're anything but. But I believe that when we come together and we pray and we believe and we lock arms through our generosity, through our serving, through our worshiping, through the way we come together in community, that God takes what we bring him and it puts fuel in the mission that he has given us. That's the opportunity we have. Now, what do, we, what do we do with that? What kind of impact does that have? I'll tell you real, a few practical ways that that puts fuel in the tank of our mission. Uh, one is that we've had some positions that we've had on hold for a while as we've weathered this transition that we want to hire or rehire. And, and as we see those numbers, and this, we, we already are beginning to see the signs of this, this being a year when those numbers are starting to turn as we go into this year end, um, we want to rehire those positions. We have ministries that we want to start, that we want to develop, that we want to strengthen. We have reserve funds that our previous boards have wisely set aside for seasons like these that we want to be able to restore back to full. And we have a staff um, that at the beginning of COVID agreed to take a significant pay cut, a 10% pay cut, many of them cutting back their hours or their pay, in order to help us through this season. Some of you have done that in your own work too. I mean, talk about sacrifice. Talk about generosity. And that's going on about a year and a half, coming on two years, and we would love as we budget for next year to be able to bring them back to full pay. And they're not doing it for the, for the money, but it's a way that we can celebrate and appreciate them who are in the trenches of the mission of our church with you. And so the invitation here is just to pray, Lord, help me see what I'm giving. Help me to see maybe the way that you want me to step in or to step up in order to grow my faith, but also to grow the mission of our church. That's the second prayer. Third prayer, Lord, help me see what I'm spending. Lord, help me see what I'm spending. Lord, help me see where my money is going. You see, do you ever get to the end of a month and you're like, where did that money go? <laughs> or the end of a year and you think, okay, I, I had this money, but where did it all go? And I know I think that, and, and the thing is, is that every month I get these things in the mail, you know, statements that will actually tell you, will tell me as I look over it where every single transaction happened, how much money that was and, and where it went. In fact, if you were to meet with a financial planner to say, hey, can you help us experience better control or freedom in our finances? The very first thing they would tell you to do is to look at your statements. And yet most Americans don't. And one-third of Americans don't look at their statements. One study I said, don't look at their statements because they're afraid of what it will tell them. They're afraid of what they'll see. Or maybe for you, if you don't look at your statement, it's because you're like, what good is it anyway? I mean, the money's gone. Let's just keep on moving forward. Why, why look back? But we have to kind of pay attention to these things because we all, when we follow the trail, we will see all the money that we spent without even thinking about it. And that's something we all struggle with. So I've never been much of a car guy. My first car was a 1987 Dodge Shadow. Maroon, had a pinstripe, but being six foot three, it was kind of like driving a Corvette with your knees up to your ears. And I think it was completely falling apart and the, the roof of the car was, it's nothing like picking up your prom date and apologizing that the foam roof of the car was kind of crumbling into her hair, you know, and kind of sticking to that Aquanet hairspray that we used back in the day. So that was the car that I, I've just never really been that much of a car guy. If, uh, several years ago, my car got, got totaled, didn't take much. and I replaced it, I was living in Little Rock at the time, and I replaced that car with something that I'd always wanted, a pickup truck. Now, it was an older truck, it was a higher mileage truck, but living in the South, uh, and I think we kind of get this a little bit in Kansas City, living in the South, there's a little bit of street cred that comes driving around a pickup truck, 
And so in that moment, the status and respect that, that I felt like I was about to receive changed me drastically. That in that moment, I became something I always wanted to be. I became a truck guy. And I started walking a little bit differently. Probably because of the cowboy boots that I bought to go with the truck. I started talking a little bit differently. Did you hear the twang that just started a few seconds ago? I loaded all of my, my car radio presets with classic rock and country, and I turned it up. I felt like, you know how like, uh, Corvette drivers have that secret wave that they all do to one another when they're driving around? I felt like trucks were the same thing. Like, so I just started waving to all the truck drivers. They're like, who is this guy? You know, <laughs> tipping my, my mesh baseball cap with the fishing hook on the tip of it. I don't fish. <laughs> and, then, and then I found out they have stores. You know, they have stores that just sell truck stuff. Did you know this? And so I went to these stores like a moth to a flame and, because I needed the WeatherTech floor liners, you know, because my kids and their sports and their money cleats, and I needed the bed liner, and I needed the step rails, and I needed the LED headlights, and, 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 I, and I needed the canoe rack, not because I had any canoes, but you never know. What if I did get some canoes? I would need a rack to put them on, so obviously that only makes sense. And, and so I just started buying some of these things because we all have something that we spend money on without even thinking about it. And so for you, maybe it's not a, maybe it's not a, a truck, but maybe it's stuff for the boat. Maybe for you, what you spend money on without thinking about it is eating out. Maybe it's some store like, like Trader Joe's. It could be vacations. And you just hand over the cash or swipe the card without even thinking about it. Why? And that's where Jesus goes in Luke 12. In fact, it's kind of the key verse of the whole chapter, what he's been building up to. He tells us why. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That whatever you and I easily spend our money on, it's usually because some part of ourselves, what Jesus calls our heart, is found in that thing. If, if you can spend money easily on cars or homes, maybe it's because of the status that those things give you. If you spend easily, money most easily on clothes, maybe it's the appearance, the approval that you feel from others. If, if it's eating out, maybe it's the comfort and the convenience of that, that we all have good things that we spend money on, but when we do so easily without even knowing or even thinking about it, it's because our heart is somewhere. See, if you looked at last month's bank, bank statement, what would it tell you about where your heart is? What it tells me is my heart is at Menard's. Because I, I think I'm winning with that 11% off. But the rule is the house always wins. we got to know that. Maybe for you it's Target or something or, or Andy's Custard. I don't know. There's so many places that we could find our heart. But this is a prayer. When we say, Lord, help me see what I'm spending, it's not just a prayer of, of, of where is my money going. It's a prayer, God, show me where my heart already is. And Jesus was always helping people see where their hearts were. In fact, three of the Gospels, as if to say this is a pretty significant story, three of the Gospels uh, record the story of a guy who came up to Jesus, and we don't know his name. He's simply called a rich guy, a rich young ruler. That's, that's his identity. And he comes up to, to Jesus, and he asks, he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it's an honest question, but there's something about this question that just kind of rubs you the wrong way, like inheritance. You don't do anything to inherit anything. You simply are. You simply, you're in relation to someone. And so this, the fact that this guy thought he could do something to inherit eternal life that Jesus was talking about, that Jesus says back to him, he kind of plays this guy's game. He says, well, you know the commandments. Do those things and you're good. And so the rich man responds. He says, 
Well, of course, I've been doing these things my whole life. Box checked. And there's so much going on in this encounter, and the pride of this guy is just kind of dripping from his words, dripping from the page. But Jesus doesn't argue with them. In fact, even in this guy's arrogance and pride and the entitlement that we can see, Mark gives us these important words, this detail. It says, it says that Jesus looked at this rich man and loved him. And it's just a reminder for us that whatever we bring to Jesus, whatever struggles or issues, even if we can't see them about ourselves and Jesus can, he sees us and he loves us. And in the love that Jesus felt for this rich man, it causes him to see something and, and ask this profound question. And it's this, or not ask a profound question, but to say something so profound that Jesus says, you still lack one thing. And I wonder what it was like for this rich man who prided himself in all that he had to hear that, that even though he had so many things, there was one thing that he lacked. There was one thing that he hadn't earned for himself, one thing that he hadn't acquired for himself. And so Jesus tells him, he says, go sell everything you have, give it away to the poor, and then come follow me. Now it's important to note that Jesus is not giving this guy another thing to do. He's not telling you and me that we need to go sell all of our stuff and give it away. Jesus is opening this guy's eyes. He's opening this guy's eyes to where his heart is. He's saying, you have all of these things, but you don't have me. You have all of these treasures that have actually defined you, but you don't have my treasure. And what's more important to you? Is it my treasure or is it yours? And Mark tells us that this rich man, that he walked away sad because he was a man of great wealth. He walked away sad. Four of the saddest words in all of scripture. In fact, of all of the people who came to Jesus and encountered the savior of the universe, the generous giver of all good things, of all of the people who came to Jesus, this is the one person who left worse than he came. And what was true of him can be true of us too. That whatever wealth we have, whatever stuff that we have, whatever we have in our banking account or our retirement account, whatever we have that we think is to our name, that this treasure can actually blind us from the greater treasure that we have in Jesus. And that's our final prayer. Lord, help me see what I'm missing. Because this rich young ruler was missing something pretty significant. Am I too? Help me see your treasure, Jesus, which outlasts and outshines the treasure of my own. Because when we can see that, then the freedom and the peace that Jesus wants us to experience, even in our finances, begins to be felt by us. And that's really why Jesus gave himself for us in the first place. And when Jesus started heading toward the cross, his disciples, his followers had to say, Jesus, what are you doing? You could, you could have everything in the whole world. You could sit on whatever throne you want to. You could command armies. You could acquire all of the wealth and treasures of this world. You could have everything. And Jesus said, no, I still wouldn't have everything because there's one thing I would always be missing if I did that. See, Jesus gave up everything for the one thing that he was missing. He was missing you. He was missing us. He was missing me. so that we could have the treasure of life. We say eternal life, but lest we think that starts some day after we die, it starts now. It's a freedom and a grace and a beauty 
that we get to live in now. And so as our team sings this song over us, I just wanna give us space. Maybe you wanna sing along. Maybe you wanna reflect. Maybe you wanna pray one of these prayers. Maybe you wanna pray, Lord, help me see what I've been given. Maybe I have been seeing you as some form of taker and I've been living in fear of you, but really, you don't want something from me, you want something for me. All, all that I have is from you. Maybe you wanna pray, Lord, help me see what I'm giving. Help me see how I'm trusting you with what you've entrusted to me. Lord, help me see what I'm spending. Help me see where my heart is that I may not even realize it. Lord, help me see what I'm missing. Help me see your treasure that outshines and outlasts my own. And so as the band sings this song, let's pray that he would. So Jesus, that is our prayer. That really by praying all of these prayers to help us see, Lord, to help us see what we've been given, what we're giving and spending and missing, Lord, what we're really praying is that we want you. That the one thing that we want in our life is you. And we want to put you on display by getting out of the way. We want to put you on display for this world to see so that they can see the riches and the grace and the life that they are invited to experience through the life that you came to give them in us. And so as we go into this week, a time when we, when we set aside time to be grateful, would you find us grateful? Would you find us mindful and, and celebrating all of that you've given, given us, God? And would you help us to go into this, this Christmas season and this new year that's to come after that with eyes wide open, with the blinders off, with our eyes wide open to who you are and all that you have given us and to know how to use those things wisely. Not for us, not for the name of Heartland, but for the name of you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we come, that we believe, and that we pray. And everyone say together, amen. Amen.